freedom, man. That's what it's all about. Welcome. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. This show will discuss the topics of human consciousness, mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is Happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Freedom for the people, humanity, and all mankind. Liberate your soul and mind. It's waiting for you all to find. That's what this show is all about, the liberation of your soul and mind. Welcome, one and all. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Today is Sunday, June 19th, 2011. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Of course, the network's website, oraclebroadcasting.com. Got a great show lined up for you here today. We are going to be introducing the 14th and final methodology of mind control. I started talking about the techniques, the methodologies of mind control about a year ago on this show. And we went through extensive breakdowns of 13 different mind control techniques Today, we're going to begin the wrap-up of the 14th and final methodology, which I cover in general, and start to go into the concept of chaos sorcery, as I refer to it. This, other researchers have referred to as the Hegelian dialectic, or simply problem-reaction-solution, as coined uh, by David Icke and others. We're going to be talking specifically about the 9-11 event, and in a few moments, we'll be joined by the Philadelphia 9-11 truth activist, Daryl Rollins, who is going to discuss with me and with you as well, because we'll also be taking calls, some of the inside job aspects of the 9-11 event. And next week, I will be going into the physics, a breakdown of the physics of 9-11 next week right here on the air. After that, I'll be delving into the dark occult symbolic aspects of this horrid event, which was indeed a human sacrifice ritual, more of which we'll be talking about later. I do have one event announcement before we go to the break. Coming up right here this summer in Philadelphia, the Tesla Science Foundation presents the third annual Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations for 2011. 
July 7th through 10th. Here's the four events that it's going to be comprised of. The, the Tesla Science Conference, all four days, July 7th through 10th, 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. at 2 Liberty Place. That's at 50 South 16th Street here in Philadelphia. Registration only $100 for all four days. 50% discount for students with a valid student ID. The Tesla Science Foundation Social featuring the Divine Hand Ensemble Orchestra, July 9th at the Ethical Society of Philadelphia, 5.30 p.m., 1906 South Rittenhouse Square. $20 in advance, $24 at the door. We'll continue with the uh, breakdown of the events as part of the Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebration this year on the other side of the break. Be right back, folks. We're back, folks. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Let me just finish reading that uh, last event announcement. Uh, The Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations for 2011. I read the first uh, two parts of the event. The second two parts are going to consist of a Tesla birthday celebration featuring a Tesla coil exhibition on the night of July 9th. 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Tesla was born on midnight between July 9th and 10th, 1856. That's going to be taking place, the Tesla birthday celebration, at Independence Visitor Center on Independence Mall, 5th and Market Streets here in Philadelphia, and that is free to attend. Finally, the Tesla Fest, featuring exhibitions and open discussions, will be taking place July 9th and 10th. On the 9th, they're all day from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m., and on the 10th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., also at the Independence Visitor Center at 5th and Market Streets, and that event is also free to attend. So if you're in the area of Philadelphia and you want to come on out, learn more about Nikola Tesla, what this great man tried to do, what he did in his life, and what he tried to do for us, but didn't wasn't quite successful at it, which is why we have to make his dream for a free energy paradigm come to fruition by getting involved and spreading the the uh, knowledge and information and the covert uh, science, the the deep blacklisted and suppressed science that Tesla was all about, we have to bring that out to people who really don't know otherwise and think that uh, uh, this stuff isn't possible or that you know it just uh, wasn't practical. This stuff has been being suppressed for over a hundred years, and there's no reason for us to be. Uh, stuck in the energy paradigm that we are for even a moment longer. So for more information about the Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations coming up uh, this July in Philadelphia, uh, check out their website at teslasciencefoundation.org, a great group of activists that I'm honored to be working with here in Philadelphia. So our topic for today, before we get into that, let's give the call-in numbers. Call-in number for the show, 866 841 1065. Once again, the call in number 866 841 1065. Call in at any time. We want to hear from you on this topic. I know that most of the listeners who listen to this radio station have an inkling about what 9 11 was about. They know that it 
uh, wasn't didn't go according to the official story as we're told by the so-called mainstream media, which are just completely compliant, complicit in these crimes. And um, not many people really know about the occult aspects of 9-11. That's something I'll be getting into on a future show. However, uh, today we're going to focus strictly on the inside job aspects of this sacrifice ritual. Let's call it what it really was. And I, this is something I did not do in my presentations. So this is a divergence from what I normally do. I'm going to talk about this for one show. And then next week, as I said, I'll be getting into an actual breakdown of the physics. And this is going to be about as left-brained as it will ever get on what on earth is happening. So for the super scientifically oriented left-brained individuals among us, you might want to tune in next week because my background is in mechanical engineering and I will be taking people through all of the physics equations necessary to understand that this event had more going on to it than met the eye. Okay? I'll be actually going into the physics equations, breaking them down, solving them, so that people can understand that the laws of physics could not possibly have been suspended three times in one day. The laws of nature do not work like that, ladies and gentlemen. And if you have even a slightly capable mind, you can understand very simple laws of dynamics. It's very simple arithmetic that needs to be done to solve some of these equations to understand what really did not happen on that day. And what did not happen was a collapse of three buildings. Something much farther beyond that went down. Okay, so next week, the physics breakdown of the 9-11 event, and like I said, that's about as left-brained as it will ever get on this show, and some may even find that boring, but we're going to do it just to document it. Okay, so today, we're going to be talking with the Philadelphia-based 9-11 truth activist, Mr. Daryl Rollins, a good friend of mine. He's been on the show before, a little over a year ago. When we talked about cognitive dissonance, which is a huge aspect of the 9-11 event and why more people will not willingly look into the darkness that this event represents because of the responsibility that that carries once you understand that this event is far more than what the mainstream media is telling us. So, welcome to the show, Daryl Rollins. Hey, what's up everybody? Daryl, great to be here. Always a pleasure to speak with you and I'll tell you what in this area I think there's nobody else that knows more about the inside job aspects of 9-11 than you you have put together a massive massive research database on just about every aspect of this horrible event that uh, of anyone that I've ever seen uh, why don't you tell people to begin with how you got into looking into 9-11 as an inside job and uh, a little bit about the, the kind of uh, information that you have amassed over the years. Oh, sure, definitely. Um, I always had questions uh, when it happened. It just didn't really make sense to me when it was going on. And uh, so I, I just kept looking uh, about, uh, you know, with uh, some of the, um, the, what do you call it, the, the left you know, so-called left-wing sites, like, you know, at the time, because I was still under the left-right paradigm at the time, so I was reading things like Alternate, and they weren't, you know, telling the story very well at all. They weren't really getting into, uh, you know, the things that I had questions on, and then one day, 
it, it was in 02, it was in October of 02, um, uh, and I have this on my channel, my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Winston Smith 911. Uh, there's there's a, a fantastic uh, little break in the matrix which allowed me to see. And it was Connie Chung interviewing uh, a guy named Amiri Baraka, who was the poet laureate of New Jersey. And he had written a poem about uh, Israeli involvement in 9 11, Israeli spies uh, being involved in the operation. And uh, Connie Chung was, you know, basically doing her best to try to paint him as an anti-Semite. And she, you know, she, she grilled him, but he uh, showed very, very, you know, uh, clearly that even Israeli media at the time in Haaretz uh, had documented that uh, uh, there was um, Israeli uh, spies that had been in the country uh, and had the capability of... Uh, documenting phone calls through uh, Kalia, the wiretapping, uh, and this was even exposed on, on Fox News uh, a year ago or a year earlier in uh, December of 2001, and it, it all clicked to me. And, and, and Daryl, I'd just like to mention the great documentary film Fabled Enemies mm -hmm. covers a lot of the aspects of that event. I'll be providing a link for that in the podcast. I think that's something that people should definitely check out because it clearly establishes the intelligence connections to the 9-11 event, which people absolutely must look into if they're going to understand the huge, massive PSYOP that took place on that day. So we're coming up to another break. On the other side, we'll be continuing to talk to Philadelphia 9-11 truth activist Daryl Rollins, and we'll be getting in much deeper into the inside job aspects of the 9-11 event when we come back here on What on Earth is Happening. Don't go anywhere, folks. Welcome back, folks. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm Mark Passio, my website, whatonearthishappening.com. Today we're talking with Daryl Rollins, Philadelphia 9-11 truth activist, about the inside job aspects of the 9-11 event. Daryl, um, why don't you tell everybody about the connections of 9-11 with the think tank organization known as PNAC, that's P-N-A-C, which sure. stands for the Project for the New American Century. Yes, uh, the Project for a New American Century uh, was, a, a, like you said, a, a think tank of elite Zionists and neocons uh, who were um, involved in the planning of uh, uh, foreign policy and war, you know, uh, scenarios. Uh, and um, it's amazing when you look at these, uh, the list of people. There's, there was a letter, actually, that they wrote in 1998 to Bill Clinton asking him to invade Iraq. And this letter was signed by Rumsfeld and Pearl and Wolfowitz and Cheney and Dove Zakheim. And Dove Zakheim, he's a real, real interesting character. He's a rabbi, a uh, Zionist rabbi, Dove Zakheim. He um, was also... Um, uh, a uh, high executive for a company called Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, which was a client for Blessed Relief, which was the charity said to be a front for Osama bin Laden. So you had these massive connections with uh, the the 9-11 event. And uh, Dove Zakheim's company, uh, Systems Planning Corp., uh, was uh, there 
chief product was remote control systems for aircraft and missiles. Um, so and and uh, Zakheim was also um, uh, on C-SPAN with Rumsfeld the day before 9/11, uh, and they mentioned that uh, oh, 2.6 trillion dollars uh, was missing, unaccounted for the day before September September 10th, 9, uh, 2001. 2.6 trillion dollars of the American taxpayers' money missing, and that that whole story went away the next day. We find out about that on September 10th publicly, and then September 11th, as they say, the rest was, is history. I want to point people in the direction of a document that was written by the Project for the New American Century. Many listeners will be familiar with this. Some may not. It's called Rebuilding America's Defenses, Strategy, Forces, and Resources for a New Century by the Project for the New American Century Think Tank. This was written in September of 2000, and I want to read uh, a few excerpts from it. This will take a little bit, but I think it's well worth doing on the air. This is from uh, Section 5, called Creating Tomorrow's Dominant Force. Tomorrow's Dominant Force. And here's what the Project for the New American Century has to say about uh, maintaining America's dominance of the world. Quote, to preserve American military preeminence in the coming decades, the Department of Defense must move more aggressively to experiment with new technologies and operational concepts and seek to exploit the emerging revolution in military affairs. Information technologies in particular are becoming more prevalent and significant components of modern military systems. These information technologies are having the same kind of transforming effects on military affairs as they are having in the larger world. The effects of this military transformation will have profound implications for how wars are fought, what kind of weapons will dominate the battlefield, and inevitably, which nations enjoy military preeminence. The United States enjoys every prospect of leading this transformation. Indeed, it was the improvements in capabilities acquired during the American defense buildup of the 1980s that hinted at and then confirmed during Operation Desert Storm that a revolution in military affairs was at hand. At the same time, the process of military transformation will present opportunities for America's adversaries to develop new capabilities that in turn will create new challenges for U.S. military preeminence. Moreover, the Pentagon, constrained by limited budgets and pressing current missions, has seen funding for experimentation and transformation crowded out in recent years. Spending on military research and development has been reduced dramatically over the past decade. Indeed, during the mid-1980s, when the Defense Department was in the midst of the Reagan buildup, which was primarily an effort to expand existing forces and field traditional weapon systems, research spending represented 20% of total Pentagon budgets. By contrast, today's research and development accounts total only 8% of defense spending. Even this reduced total is primarily for upgrades of current weapons. Without increased spending on basic research and development, the United States will be unable to exploit the RMA and preserve its technological edge on future battlefields. Any serious effort at transformation must occur within the larger framework of U.S. national security strategy 
military missions, and defense budgets. The United States cannot simply declare a strategic pause while experimenting with new technologies and operational concepts, nor can it choose to pursue a transformation strategy that would decouple American and allied interests. A transformation strategy that solely pursued capabilities for projecting force from the United States, for example, and sacrificed forward basing forward basing and presence would be at odds with larger American policy goals and would trouble American allies. Further, the process of transformation, even if it brings revolutionary change, is likely to be a long one, absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. You get that, everyone? <laughs> Domestic politics and industrial policy will shape the pace and content of transformation as much as the requirements of current missions. This report advocates a two-stage process of change, transition and transformation over the coming decades. In general, to maintain American military preeminence that is consistent with the requirements of a strategy of American global leadership, tomorrow's U.S. armed forces must meet three new missions. One, global missile defenses. Two, control of space and cyberspace, and three, pursuing a two-stage strategy of transforming conventional forces. This process will have two stages, transition, featuring a mix of current and new systems, and two, true transformation, featuring new systems, organizations, and operational concepts. So those are excerpts from chapter 5 or section 5 of the document entitled Rebuilding America's Defenses by the Project for the New American Century and you can hear right in the document essentially telling the uh, Defense Department that unless there is a new Pearl Harbor we will not be able to garner the funds that we need to create this transformation in American armed forces so that we can maintain military preeminence throughout the world. In other words, global empire. Yes. Per, uh, they were calling basically for a global Pax Americana of world hegemony. And so thus, uh, Zakheim, Dove Zakheim, who was a key member of this organization along with William Crystal, uh, thus Zakheim had de demonstrated intellectual, Israeli, and twisted moral motive for that catalyzing event of 9-11. Now, he had a, a tremendous opportunity uh, to affect this change, this revolutionary change that he talked about. He was comptroller of the Pentagon's budget. He had access as an undersecretary directly with Rumsfeld, Douglas Feith, uh, and uh, the Joint Chiefs uh, and the Israeli spies, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the FBI arrested in Douglas Feith's office, as well as financial power to obfuscate, redirect, and or cover up previous diversions of funds, fund secret operations, and even bribe leaders of other countries. Daryl. That's an excellent analysis, and a lot of this begins to answer people's questions of why would the United States do such a thing behind the scenes? Why would secret elements covert black operations within the military intelligence agencies carry out such an event? We'll get back into this that. This is right the Oracle Broadcast.
Welcome back, everyone, to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio, my website, whatonearthishappening.com. We are discussing 9-11 as an inside job, as a covert black op of intelligence agencies for the purpose of maintaining worldwide military hegemony of the United States and as an excuse to increasingly usurp the freedom of American citizens here at home. These are the answers to the questions, why? People say, well, why would they have done such a horrid thing? Why would they murder their own people? Well, these are part of the reasons. When you go even deeper into it and you start to understand that dark occultists are at the highest levels of these intelligence networks, and ultimately what they're doing is saying to other elites that may not want to play ball in the regional areas that they, these other lower level elites control, this is ultimately a sacrifice ritual of one's own people for the purpose of saying to other puppets, look what we're willing to do to our own. Now, imagine what we would be willing to do to you if you don't play ball with us. That's ultimately what this is all about, ladies and gentlemen. And I'll be getting into the deep, dark, occult aspects and the symbolic aspects of the 9-11 event, which, when you understand in conjunction with some of the traditions that we have already broke down and discussed on this show, you understand there's no way that stuff is coincidental. And it is very intricately planned out. So that's coming up in the future. And like I said, next week, get ready for it. An actual breakdown, a scientific analysis, a breakdown of the physics of the 9-11 event from a perspective that the layman can comprehend and understand. Simple physics equations solved to show people unequivocally that the laws of physics absolutely were not suspended three times in one day on 9-11. So let's get back to Daryl Rollins. Daryl, I want to talk about the stand down on the day of 9-11 of NORAD, the North American Air Defense Command. And I want to talk about how the covert black ops aspects of the military intelligence projects, how they basically needed to run counterintelligence. They needed to run war games exercises on these days to confuse the actual good people that are involved in really protecting America's uh, airspace, okay? And how these war games served as a distraction and a confusion mechanism to prevent them from those people from really effectively doing their jobs. So can you speak to the stand down of NORAD, which certainly 19 is a fundamental Islamist, uh, 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 radical uh, Islam um, uh, 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 members with box cutters could not have accomplished the stand down of NORAD, okay? And uh, can you speak to the war games exercises that were being run uh, simultaneously with the real world events that were happening on on the day of 9-11? Well, sure. Uh, Whenever a commercial jet deviates from its approved uh, flight path, uh, it creates a potentially deadly hazard. It could collide with another jet. So the uh, military is supposed to uh, respond very quickly, and and they have always done. They have they, there's uh, some 67 incidents of of them responding very quickly uh, to uh, to an aircraft uh, 
that had you know that had trouble, and even uh, Payne Stewart, the golfer, uh, his plane was uh, immediately uh, intercepted by uh, uh, fighter jets and led you know led down. But uh, on 9/11, you had uh, war games deliberately made uh, to uh, uh, to confuse the military, the pilots. Um, they uh, they even reported that they had questions. They were like, "Is this real or or, or fake? You know, or, or drill?" Because there was um, there was a war game called Operation Northern Guardian, Operation Northern Vigilance, all timed for that very day, uh, and these were all being run by Dick Cheney, and so. Uh, in the Presidential Operations Command, Emergency Operations Command, you had uh, Norm Mineta, the the uh, NT, what was he, the the NTSB, uh, yeah, N- Secretary, Secretary, yes, yeah, he uh, he witnessed Cheney, uh, you know, uh, coming in and uh, at the uh, at the at the special bunker, and there was uh, another military man coming in and giving Cheney briefings uh, right before the uh, supposed uh, crash of. The, the plane into the Pentagon. Which yes, they, they were in the uh, what, what is known as the PEOC, the mm-hmm. Presidential Emergency, Emergency Operations, Operations Center. Center beneath the um, the uh, Pentagon. Yeah, and he said, uh, I was made aware of it during the time that the airplane coming into the Pentagon, there was a young man who had come in and said to the Vice President, the plane is 50 miles out. He came back and said, the plane is 30 miles out. And then he came back again and said, the plane is 10 miles out. And he said, do the orders still stand? And the vice president turns around and says, of course the orders still stand. Have you heard anything to the contrary? So essentially, Mineta, who um, was in this special bunker uh, for when events like this happen, um, he was there with Cheney, who was basically running uh, the, the operation, okay? And he was asking an aide to Cheney what, um, whether... Uh, or he heard, overheard an aide to Cheney coming into the room and saying that the plane was 50 miles out, then 30, then 10, and asking Cheney if the, the orders still stood. Now, people have talked all about the timeline about this and, you know, that the White House was uh, being evacuated or not being evacuated at the time that Mineta uh, gave this testimony, okay, uh, uh, or... Um, Heard these, overheard these comments. It was censored from the commission. But es- record, yeah. es- essentially, this was going on before the strike of the Pentagon, which was allegedly Flight Seventy Seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, allegedly. And <laughs> and um, what Mineta was showing was that they had foreknowledge of the flight that was coming into the Pentagon before it actually uh, hit, and they did nothing to stop it. Just like NORAD did nothing to stop these planes on 9-11 from reaching their targets because they were confused by the intelligence operations, the drills that were being run, these war games, as Daryl said, like Vigilant Guardian, Vigilant Warrior, etc., that essentially were put in place to confuse the people in those positions Okay, so that they would not understand whether the events that they were being told about happening in real time were real world events or were exercise events. This is how you 
basically run a covert operation when you need to pull your people who ordinarily would have this situation in hand off of the event when you need them to basically be looking in the other direction or be confused and the people that need to be looked into the people that you really need to go to to find out who is at the highest level of the orchestration of this event are the people that put those war games exercises into place on those days. That's the key to understanding this. Whoever orchestrated those events on those days knew what was really going to be happening on those days and that's why they scheduled those drills. And it's so unconscionable how they get away with saying, oh, we were incompetent. Oh, we, we, we dropped the ball. Oh, we failed. No, this was absolutely planned. 45 minutes where no fighter jets came to in uh, to intercept the uh, the hijacked jets and um, you know of course then <laughs> if you go into the the actual uh, logistics of this uh, hijacking right well you find that uh, there's no uh, what you were told about uh, about hijacking on 911 uh, it comes from these these so-called cell phone calls uh, from the uh, the passengers on the plane but uh, then you find that the cell phone calls would never would would never work uh, at, at altitudes that high. In in fact, uh, it has been proved conclusively that the, uh, the, the the at that time the technology at the time in two thousand one you couldn't make a cell phone call from above five thousand feet. It wouldn't go through. You'd be hitting too many cell towers, and the signal would be lost. There's also some evidence that there may have been some um, voice. Um, um, mimicking technology, mimicking technology yes. used because of the types of phrases being said to people's parents or mothers that would they would never have spoken of in that way, like using name. their first and last name when talking to their mother and asking questions like "You believe me, right?" <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll post some documents uh, to the podcast about that that people should look into. Um, Daryl, I want to talk about the. Uh, oper um, the operation known as Able Danger, which was basically an investigation into bin Laden that was uh, stonewalled. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Uh, there was many people uh, who were uh, working with the uh, FBI who uh, had heard of supposed uh, threats from, uh, you know, bin Laden, etc. Uh, of course, this was completely fake. And, well, you have... Um, a guy named John O'Neill who tried to investigate bin Laden in Yemen prior to 9-11 and he was prohibited from doing so by his boss. We're going to talk about why that was on the other side of this break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We're getting into the 9-11 inside job aspects today. We'll be right back after these messages, folks. Stay with us. Nine Eleven, an inside job, most definitely, and most definitely much, much more than that, including a human sacrifice ritual, among other things. People think human sacrifice stopped hundreds of years ago. It's still going on, ladies and gentlemen, except in the modern day, they don't take people up to the top of pyramids and cut their hearts out with obsidian blades. They fly planes into office buildings. 
We're here control. with Daryl Rollins, Philadelphia 9-11 truth activist. On the uh, other side of the break, we were talking about Operation Able Danger, and uh, you're going to wrap up that, and then you're going to transition it into some other aspects. So Great. Yes, continue. yes. I will read from briefly from a Times-Herald, Norristown newspaper, Norristown, Pennsylvania, from August 17th of 2005. This is absolute mainstream media here, and it says, A Pentagon review of a defunct defense operation said to have linked a September 11th hijacker to a terrorist cell in New York City could shed light on why Defense Department officials shut down the secret program, Able Danger, more than a year before this, the 9-11 attacks. A defense intelligence analyst, Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer, who worked on the high-tech operation, said Tuesday that the battle lines are being drawn in the Pentagon as the old program comes under renewed security. Scrutiny, sorry. Right now, he says, the Department of Defense has a great deal of interest in this matter, and some elements in the Defense Department are attempting to go dirty. In June, Schaefer revealed to the Times-Herald that Pentagon officials rejected a plan to have the FBI and Special Ops Command collaborate to track Mohammed Atta and the other suspected 9-11 terrorists. At the, effect, at the time, the Defense Intelligence Agency analyst asked not to be identified. Even after the 9-11 Commission's re recommended changes in intelligence community practices, Schaefer said, little has changed. He, ch he charges that some defense officials responsible for counterterrorism before 9-11 have returned to their old intelligence gathering habits and don't want to revisit past failings that an able danger probe might highlight. And guys that had a role in this intelligence quote-unquote failure got promoted. They have not changed the way they do business. The object was to identify and target these supposed Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, and other terrorists. Uh, they use data mining and parallel processing and other cutting-edge computer technology from 1999 through early 2001. And then the program was abruptly shut down right as they were gathering all their important data. So not only are, were they setting up bin Laden to take the fall as their patsy for this event, but then they actually blocked the FBI investigation that was going to take place into bin Laden's role in the event, yes, more, was, most likely because it would have found out that there was no connection with him in the event. Yeah, John O'Neill, FBI agent who was uh, trying to investigate bin Laden in Yemen, was prohibited uh, by his boss, Barbara Bodine, I think her name was. She prohibited him from even going into there and investigating. He was so uh, frustrated and upset and angry that he quit his job, and uh, they offered him a new job as chief of security in the World Trade Center, and he died in that 9-11 attack that day. Let's, let's mention before, I know you have some other aspects you want to go into, but let's briefly mention bin Laden himself, uh, his background as one of the um, uh, Mujahideen fighters that were trained by the CIA. Mm -hmm. People don't understand, a lot of people who uh, look into uh, bin yes. Laden don't understand that this is a creation of our military intelligence because the, the Soviet Union was invading Afghanistan in the 1970s. We went in, gave the Afghanis weapons, trained them, and radicalized them to a radical faction of Islam. And this is actually uh, the, the, the group called Al-Qaeda is an actual name that the CIA gave to these radicalized Mujahideen Hedin freedom, so-called freedom fighters that were trained to fight the Soviet Union because they were, they were our enemies at the time and we wanted to give all the assistance to the Afghanis that we could. In fact, at the time, bin Laden had a, a code name, uh, Tim Osman, uh, for his CIA asset role. He, uh, you can find uh, a 1979 photograph of bin Laden shaking hands with Zbigniew Brzezinski, one of the top neocons in the administration. And uh, 
he there he is, you know, shaking hands with him, and he's he's carrying an AK-47 and telling him, you know, good job, you know, for uh, uh, d- d- carrying out our mission here in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Daryl, can you speak to some of the uh, illicit funding that went on behind the scenes by some of the uh, uh, members of the Pakistani ISI, specifically a general named Mahmoud Ahmed, who who allegedly wired some of the money to carry out uh, aspects of the operation to Mohammed Atta, who was allegedly the mastermind of the actual, uh, you know, hijacking uh, aspects of the event. Yeah, uh, I I recommend you, you uh, people read into uh, uh, Daniel Hopsinger's uh, uh, books. He has a tremendous amount of information on uh, the the fraud of of Muhammad Atta's uh, supposed uh, leadership abilities of this operation. Um, uh, I don't know. What did you, you wanted to get into? Just yeah. Do, do you know anything about uh, this Pakistani general who wired money to Atta before the event? Uh, well, he worked for the ISI, and the ISI worked closely with the CIA. So there you again, you have another connection. Um, I think, um, what was her name? Benazir Bhutto. Uh, the ISI is Pakistan's equivalent of our CIA. Yeah, yeah, an intelligence uh, agency that works closely with Now, an- another intelligence agency that had um, deep connections with this event is the Israeli Mossad. Yes. And the Mossad... Uh, allegedly sent some people into the United States to quote document the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there was uh, a, a white van in uh, Liberty State Park in Weehawken uh, that had set up cameras. Uh, taking, they were there was four Israelis in the van celebrating, jumping up and down, and taping the World Trade Center uh, on fire after it had been hit, and. Uh, they, you know, they were seen by uh, a, a keen observer who then called the uh, the FBI, and the FBI came and uh, arrested them and found forty seven hundred dollars in cash in a sock in their van, and also the the bomb sniffing dogs found uh, traces of explosives in their van, and uh, they said, "We are not Arabs; we are Israelis." Uh, you know, and and. Uh, the, they were deported back to Israel without being charged with a crime. And the guy who deported them back to Israel was a guy named Michael Chertoff, who became the director of Homeland Security. One hand washed the other. Interesting. So um, <clears throat> let's look at some of the uh, physical aspects of the event, okay? Um, people perceive this as because this is what they were told immediately after the event they pin it on somebody immediately who um, you know looks scary and who they are distrustful of because they know little about their culture um, you know it's blame it on radical uh, Islamic fundamentalists and some of the physical aspects of the event that simply don't even make any sense whatsoever first we can talk about that one, buildings don't collapse symmetrically into their own footprint, which is the greatest path, path of resistance. If it's going to collapse, it's going to collapse around a weakened part of the structure and probably topple over. But what you saw on 9-11 was all the support columns failing all at once and the building coming down straight down into its own footprint. Uh, you know, and, and this was uh, really visible with Building 7. 
really exploding while it's doing it. Yes, you, you the, really the towers see the especially, yes. Crumbling to dust as it's coming straight down into the path of greatest resistance, which physical structures simply do not do according to the laws of physics. What about the temperatures at which uh, jet fuel burns and steel weakens? Can we, uh, can we address some of those aspects? Oh, definitely. Uh, the, the jet fuel is, is uh, kerosene. Kerosene can't get any hotter than 1400F. Uh, that's a really, really conservative yeah. estimate of temperature of it's a of a controlled mostly, burn. Mostly can't even in, get under six. In, or in the real world, years. jet fuel is a, a, approximately, I, I believe, about ninety percent kerosene, and kerosene in an air burn burns just over six hundred degrees Fahrenheit. If you Add that added that to something that could really take the temperature burn higher in the real world. The absolute most you're going to achieve is around 800 degrees Fahrenheit, and the the fires burning at the World Trade Center definitely did not get any hotter than around eight to nine hundred degrees. And that's like I said, that's a high conservative estimate. And we know that melting temperature of steel is well over 2750 F, uh, and there's no way a jet fuel fire can make a temperature that high. Right. The, the melting point of steel is 2750 degrees Fahrenheit, but um, there is a temp. Now, people will debate and say, well, steel weakens. It loses half of its strength and it begins to deform below that. But the temperature at which steel deforms is 1100 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's, again, a high end concern. Uh, a low-end conservative estimate. So there is no way these fires could have even possibly reached that number. So that's just to touch on some of the physical aspects of 9-11 from a material science point of view. We'll get more into this on the other side of this break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. Don't... Fear is the force that closes down human consciousness so that it cannot understand what is being done around it. And that's what we saw on 9-11-01. So we're talking with Daryl Rowland's 9-11 Truth Activists. We're going to be going to the phones soon in this hour. Okay, I'm going to give the phone number to call in once again, 866-841-841. 1065. Once again, the call-in number is 866-841-1065. Call into What on Earth is Happening and give us your thoughts. 
Daryl, let's. Uh, we were talking about the melting point of steel. We were talking about um, how the, the the building simply could not have fallen in the way that we see on that day. I'm going to be going into that in depth next week. But let's look at a, an even more ridiculous aspect of some of the physical uh, details that we were told. How could the force of these massive planes that we say that we're, we're saying they were incinerated? We're told, okay, as they went into these buildings. Yet we find the Islamic red bandanas that the hijackers tied to their head prior to committing this act of suicide in their jihad. And we find passports completely intact that survived the raging fires that melted steel beams and columns in the buildings, some of the thickest steel beams ever constructed in the United States. I mean, sure. a With, child, uh, you'd have to be a child to believe a tale like this. Yeah, absolutely. They, they uh, were, uh, were not above planting uh uh, false evidence at the crime scene uh, to uh, you know <laughs> make it really uh, a ridiculous uh, cover up. And you have uh, in, in Flight 93, there's like nothing there. It's a hole in the ground. That's all there's there. But but there's they claim they find a, a red bandana. There. Co- planes incinerate when they hit the ground, Daryl. Didn't you know that? <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the, the contact with the ground makes all of the steel and the other construction materials that planes are made out of just vanish into nothingness. And then, you know, an, an intact passport found on the street for, uh, you know, uh, Muhammad Atta or uh, Marwan al-Shehi in the, in, <laughs> on the ground. What, uh, so laminated uh, plastic will survive, but, uh, but steel and concrete would not. We're going to get into uh, a lesser known aspect of 9-11, at least by the general public. Our listening audience will probably be aware of Building 7. But before we do that, you had a connection that you wanted to bring up uh, regarding... Um, oh, yes. Omaha. The okay. Omaha connection. Go right ahead. There is an Omaha-Nebraska connection with 9-11. So George Bush, okay, he first, when, when 9-11 happens, he's in Florida at a school. Now, this in itself is, is, is uh, uh, egregious, you know, violation of, of uh, you know, logic where Bush uh, is, should have been whisked out of there for his safety. Yeah, he was allowed to stay there after they it, knew that this event public, was going on. His location was publicly known. How was he to assume that he would be safe? Uh, unless he knew of, of the attack. It's, it's, it's quite symbolic as well from a PSYOP perspective. He's there with the innocent school children on that day. And uh, he's also reading a story, My Pet Goat, which has occult overtones. We'll get back into that, and I want to hear more about this Omaha connection that you have researched in depth on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere, folks. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're talking about 9-11 as an inside job. An example of chaos sorcery. The 14th and final methodology of mind control and probably the heaviest gun that the mind controllers use to go to work on people through an injection of fear. I'm here in studio with 9-11 truth activist from Philadelphia, Daryl Rollins. 
and we're talking about a lot of different aspects of 9-11. We could do 20 shows on this topic. There is so much data and details to be looked into. However, I'm not going to spend too much time on this aspect of it because as everyone is well aware, my forte is in looking at the occult aspects behind the scenes and the symbolism. So I'm going to do a lot of focus on that. Next week, for the left-brained among us, I will be presenting the physics equations necessary to understand that this event, as we have told that it happened, as we have been told that it happened, is physically impossible against the laws of nature. So for uh, scientists, architects, engineers, anybody who's extremely left-brained, I will be presenting for the layman, even so that the layman can understand it, with plenty of slides to go along with it, the physics equations of dynamics that are necessary to solve to know that the, the official story is complete bunk. That's coming up next week. So, Daryl, let's go back to uh, some elements of, let's, let's look at um, this Omaha connection that you have researched, and then let's t- talk about Building 7, and then we're going to go to the phones. Cool. Yeah, I know. It's, it, I'm, folks, it's, it's like all over the place because there is just so many aspects of this uh, of this. Uh, psyop this inside job that to cover it, it's but I'm going to try to really speak I'm going to try to to really summarize up this this Omaha connection all right so George Bush he when once he left the Booker Elementary School in Florida he went to Omaha he flew to 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 Omaha to meet with Warren Buffett the second richest man on earth uh, at a charity event that he uh, scheduled for that day at uh, Offutt Air Force Base now. The odd thing about this is that uh, Ann Tatlock was the CEO of uh, Fiduciary Trust, and she was flown to this meeting uh, in advance also. And uh, this is a quote from Forbes magazine from October 15th of 2001. Quote, Ann Tatlock found out about the collision of a plane with the North Tower of the World Trade Center while en route to the U.S. Strategic Command headquarters in Omaha. The 62-year-old chief executive of Fiduciary Trust Company International was one of a small group of business leaders at a charity event hosted by Warren Buffett. Military officers boarded the bus she was on and escorted her to an officer's lounge and a television just in time to see the second plane hit the South Tower between the 87th and 93rd floors right where 650 of her employees worked. Fiduciary Trust, which today manages $44 billion of securities for pension plans, endowments, and wealthy individuals, unquote. So she was on the board also of Merck, Sharp, and Dome, and Howard Hughes Medical Center, and uh, also on the board of directors of Franklin uh, Franklin Resources, based in San uh, Mateo, owned the company Fiduciary Trust, which had offices where Flight 175 hit the South Tower. So... Again, uh, you have uh, Thomas Kane uh, involved in this also. He was the, one of the chief 9-11 commissioners. He had long served as director of Fiduciary Trust and Franklin Resources. Uh, and uh, Franklin acquired Fiduciary Trust five months before the World Trade Center uh, uh, was destroyed, and they profited handsomely from the tragedy. Only five months before the attacks, Mutual fund firm Franklin bought Fiduciary, a 70-year-old asset manager catering to high net worth clients and institutional investors, for $825 million. Uh, So right there, I mean, you have uh, George Bush showing up at this meeting 
uh, where Ann Tatlock is, is going, oh my goodness, 650 of my employees are dead, and here's Warren Buffett, and here's George Bush, and it's at a military base at a secret location, uh, you know, <laughs> away from the public, uh, and I would love to know what went on in that meeting, wouldn't you folks? Now, uh, Mark, what, did you, what else did you want to talk about? Well, I want to get into the whole Building 7 scenario because a lot of people still don't aren't aware that a third building came down into its own footprint in New York City on the day of 9-11 at 5.20 in the afternoon. It was struck by no plane. It had very little damage that was done to it by uh, debris from the collapsing towers, although people debate that and say that's what caused this perfectly symmetrical collapse, which I will uh, link um, footage uh, to in the podcast for this, uh, for this uh, show. And um, I want to look at the owner of the World Trade Center and his comments on why Building 7 was so was allegedly pulled, his words, not mine, a demolition term. Um, I want to look at, um, you know, how he cleaned up in insurance claims as part of uh, the, the, uh, the uh, fallout fr from the 9-11 event. And uh, let's look at how the, the BBC announced that the building had come down before it even came down. They sure. said that it already happened. So tell people about Building 7, what, what was housed in that building, um, how it came down, and uh, some of the uh, aspects of that that people need to be made aware of. Sure. In Building 7 was housed uh, SEC records uh, of the Enron scandal, uh, which uh, were conveniently destroyed that day. So what is the SEC? The, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, you you also had offices of the CIA in in that building. Uh, lots of you know damning information was destroyed during that operation. In, in the control center, which was housed in the middle oh, of yes, the building, on the twenty third floor, floor was uh, Rudy Giuliani's special uh, uh, counterterrorism uh, floor. It was hermetically sealed. Another uh, occult number, folks. The number twenty three, which we'll get into. We'll get into all of the numerology of the event on the future, uh, future show, where we talk about the occult aspects. But continue about Building Seven. Yeah, um, and uh, so at five fifteen or five twenty p.m. that day, at nine eleven, uh, this building suddenly uh, collapses straight down in six point five seconds into its own footprint. And you even see the penthouse of the building sink down into the top of the building as it's coming down. And you see the floors staying in mm -hmm. the same um, uh, the same proportion, the same distance from each other as it comes down. You get the idea that Flight 93 was supposed to hit Building 7, uh, but it crashed or was shot down. It looks like it was shot down. Uh, anyway, they had to go they had to go forward with it because they had so much evidence they had to destroy. Uh, so uh, anyway, they, they had a script, you know, and uh, so one of the script readers was this uh, reporter for BBC World. Uh, her name was Jane Stanley. And uh, there you see uh, at uh, around 4.50 p.m., you know, about half an hour before the uh, collapse of Building 7, she's on BBC World announcing that uh, the Building 7 had collapsed and it's behind her in the shot. And it's a live shot. It's not a pre-recorded or it's not a, a, a blue screen or green screen shot. It's a live shot. The building is there behind her in the background, still standing clearly in the shot. And she's announcing in advance that it had already collapsed the words that they actually used. She wasn't the only one that did it either, too. There was another CNN reporter that did the same thing. I'll be posting some of these videos to the website with this podcast. 
As always, all shows of What on Earth is Happening are archived on the podcast page of whatonearthishappening.com. Daryl, stay with us. Folks, stay with us. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening on the Oracle Broadcasting Network. an inside job, an example of a human sacrifice ritual in the modern day, an act of chaos sorcery, the defining occult event of our times and so much more. We were talking about the advanced knowledge that so many people had of these events on this day, how they were even reading scripts with the buildings that they're talking about had already collapsed, still standing in the background of the shot, not even bothering to take a look at the skyline behind them and realize that the building that they're telling people had already come down was still standing. Unbelievable. And people can still believe that this is just a coincidence. Um, Speaking of knowledge in advance, Uh, The Patriot Act was written well in advance of 9-11. This is a thousand pages of intensive legislation that was already on board, already being tried to be put through. Right on Bush's desk prior to 9-11. That's right. Trying to put it through. To, through the Congress, the, through the House and, and Senate, and it was con- was not being accepted. People did not want to vote for this. But after 9/11, they all voted for it, with the exception of one individual, on a single day, without re- even reading the bill. Okay, so advanced knowledge. How about advanced planning? Look at how the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were already on board well in advance of 9/11. Daryl, do you want to speak to that? Sure. Uh, uh, actually, on. Uh September 4th of 2002, there was an article right in CBS News. Mainstream news again, but, you know, of course, the truth is only told once in mainstream media, then it's buried and it's covered. But here it is. Uh, CBS News has learned, this is September 4th of 02. CBS News has learned that barely five hours after American Airlines Flight 77 plows into the Pentagon, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld was telling his aides to come up with plans for striking Iraq even though there was no evidence linking Saddam Hussein to the attacks. That's according to notes taken by aides who were with Rumsfeld in the National Military Command Center on 9-11. Notes that show exactly where the road toward war with Iraq began, reports CBS News National Security Correspondent David Martin. At 9.53 a.m., just 15 minutes after the plane had hit the Pentagon, of course, that, not even a plane, it's a missile, uh, was... Uh, you. you uh, and, and while Rumsfeld uh, was still outside helping with the injured, the National Security Agency, which monitors communications worldwide, intercepted a phone call from one of Osama bin Laden's operatives in Afghanistan to a phone number in the former Soviet Republic of Georgia. The caller said he had heard good news and that another target was still to come, an indication he knew another airliner, one that eventually crashed in Pennsylvania, was at the very moment zeroing in on Washington, this said. Now, it says it was 12.05 p.m. when the director of, of Central Intelligence told Rumsfeld about the intercepted conversation. Rumsfeld felt it was vague, that it might not mean something, and that it was no good basis for hanging hat. In other words, the evidence was not clear-cut enough to justify military action to, against bin Laden. But later that afternoon, the CIA reported the passenger manifest for the hij- hijacked airliners showed three of the hijackers were suspected al-Qaeda operatives. 
And uh, with the intelligence all pointing toward bin Laden, Rumsfeld ordered the military to begin working on strike plans. And at 2.40 p.m., the notes quote Rumsfeld as saying he wanted to he wanted the best info fast. Judge whether good enough to hit SH, the meaning Saddam Hussein, at the same time, not only UBL, which was the initials used to identify Osama bin Laden. Now, one year later, there is uh, very little evidence Iraq was involved. In September 11th attacks, it was none. There was none. He had it all planned out, just like in the PNAC, where they, they said they wanted to have a massive change and a, and a new, right. new Pearl Harbor. And they, they went on this campaign in cahoots with the mainstream media, the Bush administration, to remember this whole build-up to the uh, Iraq invasion, that the smoking gun would come in the form of a mushroom cloud, that he had weapons of mass destruction and hinting, always hinting that it had to do with uh, the uh, uh, form of Islamic uh, terrorism that had to do with the 9-11 event without actually coming out in the open and saying it. But then after the uh, invasion, openly admitting that Iraq had nothing to do with the events of 9-11. <laughs> and we have George Bush's quote where he said, let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. Malicious lies, they attempt to shift the blame away from the terrorists themselves, away from the guilty. Pretty good uh, likeness there, Daryl. So, folks, I know we've covered so much in such a short amount of time. And again, this is for a reason. The research is all out there for you to do. We're going to be talking about a couple other aspects of the event, some of the, uh, the um, types of explosives that may have been used to bring these buildings down, nanothermite residue found in the World Trade Center dust, some connections to potential exotic weaponry that may have been used, at, uh, perverted applications of Tesla technology that may have been employed on uh, as part of this event. With that's, the first two buildings, with the North Tower that's and right. the South Tower, yes. So that's coming up, but let's go to the phones and take, uh, take a couple of phone calls. So here we go. Caller, you're live on What on Earth is Happening on this 9-11 uh, Inside Job Show. What do you have for us today? Hi, Daryl. Mark, is it me? Yes, you're on. Yes. Oh, hey, this has been a great show. Uh, yeah, keep up the good work. As you were saying, though, I wanted to bring uh, an important point on this, is that we do have them dead to rights. And like you had said earlier, Mark, uh, uh, you know, if we find out who, or we should be finding out who specifically was responsible for scheduling those drills to con confuse the military, uh, because we can see that that's clearly what their intention was. I w and, uh, you know, we can definitely serve public warrants as accessories, seize information for evidence, and continue on our way to, to get the masterminds also. But that relationship of prior knowledge and setting us up uh, to be conned. Uh, uh, is also present in, in Able Danger also. I mean, Anthony Schaefer claimed yes. he was following uh, Ada around and had terabytes of video of him. And, and uh, Anthony Schaefer doesn't claim Bush needs to be arrested, arrested for mass murder because he was directly complicit in closing investigations. No, he gives you a cover that, yeah, Muhammad Ali is a Muslim fundamentalist, and yet we know he was a partier and had been on uh, Abramoff's uh, casino cruise ships many right. times. And yes. we, have, we have interviews with his girlfriend. Similarly, too, Peter B. Collins yesterday or the day before did an outstanding report on an individual who calls himself Iron Man, who notified the CIA, he's a military intelligence officer, who notified the CIA, the FBI, the Bush administration, everybody just prior to 9-11 because he, he had inside source knowledge that the Pentagon was going to be attacked and so were the two towers. But then he claims, oh, we goofed up. 
were too stupid, and that's why they had to attack them. I would uh, uh, demand the arrest of Iron Man and Anthony Schaefer. Anthony Schaefer is a traitor, because we can clearly see, with your, as you were talking about Mineta giving his report to the commission, they censored that from the reports. Yes. Similarly, like General Ahmed. Uh, Condoleezza Rice at a press conference, and during the press conference, a reporter asks her, well, what's this, the story about General Ahmed finance, or uh, in so many words, financing this operation? And uh, she says that she didn't have any meetings with him, and yet we know he met with many of the commissioners, 9-11 commissioners, who ended up uh, ignoring him altogether later, but they censored that from uh, the uh, White House uh, uh, transcripts off there, uh, on the internet, and that's uh, available in uh, Loose Change Final Cuts. So that we know that they... Oh, and also... You know, if we believe their nonsense as Anthony Schaefer's, then bin, uh, bin Laden would have had to have had an accessory to plant the explosives in the towers because we have video of liquefied iron flowing from the towers. For a Somebody month afterward, yes. Yes, they yeah, were, they were so, for a whole month. Caller, you yeah, bring up so, so many great points that need to be looked into. And like I said, have said to people in the past, do not underestimate the intelligence of the people who were running this event. Uh, these are highly trained experts in how the human mind works. This is definitely a psychological warfare operation. Magic. Yeah, these people oh, know how to create certain effects in the subconscious, in the conscious mind, so that people react in certain ways, and then they will go for things that they ordinarily would have would want to have absolutely nothing to do with. Caller, stay on the line. We'll come back with you after this next break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening, ladies and gentlemen, right here on the Oracle Broadcasting Network. Don't go anywhere. Really awesome. The man on the street with the Harley shirt. Remember that? Who was telling people what to think about what the... Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about that guy. Right, right. We're back on What on Earth is Happening. Talking about the inside uh, aspects of the 9/11, and before the break, we were talking with a caller on the back to wrap up his phone. And Daryl and I are going to go a couple more elements of 9/11, and then we'll go back to the phones to round out the show. So here we go, caller. Are you still with us? Yes. Great. Am I, am I still on yet? Let's take yeah, another uh, well, yeah, point, as... and then we're going to go to caller. Yes. Sure. Uh, you know, we got to remember, you know, they are conning the American teen soldiers for death, and we see, we hear the interviews they give, and they don't have very, very strong minds to find a way in this world and go and, f- and follow blindly, in fact, uh, by not uh, upholding the oath that they gave to uh, God and country. But they have minds of like 12 year olds in some cases. We are affected by, let's call it magic. Uh, and it, to me, they're really poor magic tricks, but I know that some of them are a little bit more complicated. But some of the easiest ones to defeat as a trick is, well, they lost the Enron documents. So we can't continue investigations. That's a magic trick. It, it works on people who don't know anything about it. But if you pursue knowledge on Enron, we know how they quadrupled the cost of energy in California. We know that they moved the assets from the company to the Cayman Islands and had fictitious numbers on the on the stock market total board. And people who held stock had a contractual agreement not to be able to touch it while the numbers fictitiously fell. And they said, "All oh, your money's lost. But they really moved it to the Cayman Islands. So that, that's where the investigations halted. Similarly, in the Pentagon, where they murdered those auditors who were investigating Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld's mysterious lost, again, or losing, uh, $2.7 trillion. And they said, well, those guys were murdered, so now we have no 
interest in tracking that money down. All the paperwork was destroyed. Well, we know it's got to do with Rumsfeld. We got to know it, it's got to do with today. There's been 80% of the monthly expenditures in both of these wars is completely unaudited. It's black, uh, they say. It's black ops military intelligence. These guys need to be taken in by the military uh, and, 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 uh, and serve the rest of their lives behind bars or be formally executed under American standing law for treason and for torture. Torture warrants death 100% of the time. It's only an enemy of God and man who claims they can't hear me see, say these words unchallenged worldwide. That's right. It does warrant death. And, and the, mi- the, mi- the, military, the military should do their job of protecting this country against enemies, foreign and domestic. domestic. And that's what this was all about. Domestic enemies carrying out this job. Caller, great points that you raised. Daryl, let's get into quickly uh, a couple other of the uh, physical aspects of 9-11. Let's talk about the nanothermite residue that has been discovered in the World Trade Center dust and then transition into talking about the well, possibility yeah. of even more exotic weaponry being used on that day. Well, very first, uh, also thank you, Caller, um, for uh, mentioning uh, that uh, people were told what to think about the operation as it was happening. They even had a man on the street in New York uh, dressed in a Harley shirt, you can find this on YouTube, where he's like, you know, being interviewed by the media, and he's he's a he's a plant. He's, yes. he's he looks like he's an eyewitness, but he's a plant, and he's telling people about, oh yeah, of course, uh, the 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 uh, the the floors just pancaked onto themselves, and it was just obviously a pancaking collapse, right? You know, and he was he's telling people the fires weaken the weakening the steel, the steel weakening the structure. He's and then telling it people, yeah, he's yeah. telling people what to think about it, so that they don't actually think for themselves. That's right. That's right. And in a state of fear, that becomes a piece of cake. People are willing to readily accept what is being told to them by someone who seems assured of themselves. So uh, what about the possibility of some of the more exotic weapon? Uh, well, let's look at the nanothermite residue. Do you have anything to say about that? I believe that's uh, J- Stephen Jones's work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mostly uh, Stephen Jones uh, did some fantastic work on uh, you know finding the red and gray chips of uh, nanothermite in the World Trade Center dust. Uh, you know, and and uh, of course, where do you where, if if this building had collapsed in a pancake format? You know, as they told us, you wouldn't have. A, a, a thermite, a thermate, which is thermate plus uh, uh, sulfur, which acts as a eutectic to uh, to make the the uh, the explosives even hotter to right. cut. And, and you, you yes, uh, uh, yes. and uh, you even see in the residue of the buildings, uh, the uh, in the wreckage, you'll see like steel beams cut at a, an angle, which is exactly how they do uh, the the preliminary. Uh, cutting of the of the support columns. And certainly, this would have had to been done well in advance. These explosives in the buildings, and if you look at who owned the uh, security, who run the security of the World Trade Center, it's uh, George Bush's brother, his company, Stratasec. It, that's right. Stratasec ran yeah. security for the towers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. And uh, you even have uh, a guy named uh, Scott Forbes, and fiduciary trust comes up again. Remember, I mentioned fiduciary trust with Ann Tatlock. Uh, coming to the world, coming to that meeting with Warren Buffett. Well, another fiduciary trust employee, Scott Forbes, was an IT guy, and he noted that there was uh, a power down of both the North and the South Tower uh, on the weekend before right. the attacks, which gave uh, ample opportunity for uh, continuity tests to make sure the explosives ordinance would work. That's right. And folks, I'd like to bring up something now that uh, is. 
uh, pretty controversial, but I believe that not th this event would not even be uh, possible or doable just with conventional explosives, even with uh, with micro explosives like nanothermite. Yeah, that was only part of it. I think that there is something even bigger that went down. Uh, that was a display of new weaponry. First of all, you had concrete pulverized into dust. Now, what can do that? And, That's and, something and very powerful. Exploding outward, and there being absolutely not even anything larger than, like, you know, a small, uh, tiny bit of debris, no bigger than, like, you know, um, no bigger than, like, an ashtray left in the rubble. I mean, like, literally, this this material, the amount of material we're talking about in these massive structures of steel and concrete, the, the amount is unfathomable. As David Ray Griffin said, take a block of concrete and drop it, oh, about a thousand feet. Now, will it turn into pulverized dust? No, it'll break into chunks. Right. We had this dust was all over the entire area of southern Manhattan going across the river into New Jersey. I mean, this is unbelievable how much material completely disintegrated. That's the only word that can really be used to describe it. It disintegrated. It came apart completely. Now, explosives do blow things apart. But not into fine, fine particles like this. And, uh, you know, there was some first responders. Uh, David, I forget his name. He was, the, he was one of the New York police officers who was affected by the, the uh, operation. And he, uh, he had, you know, massive amounts of pulverized concrete in his lungs. Oh, so many responders are, are, are sick, dying, and all, or already dead as a result of the toxins that they breathe directly into yeah. their lung linings on this day. And you don't live very long when you have a, a lung lining full of concrete and other debris like asbestos and any of the other toxins that were uh, in the, the construction materials of those buildings. And, uh, you know, my heart goes out to these first responders for trying to do the right thing, but they should not have listened to the assurances of people who did not have their interest in mind that, you know, it was okay to be out there without adequate professional protection in the form of breathing apparatuses. Oh, well, yeah, and then you had uh, Christine uh, Todd Whitman uh, telling them that the air was safe to breathe. Right. <sighs> Unbelievable. So go going back to the possibility of more exotic uh, energy-based weaponry being used on that day, I mean, if you see the way this building came down and watch it again, some force from above seems to have been at work. Not, uh, you know, from below or in the buildings, but from above, literally pushing the, the, the buildings downward and breaking them apart as, it, as it's doing it. And uh, this could be some type of beam weaponry. Um, and this could be some type of application, a perverted application of Tesla's standing wave technology that we know very little about. I'm very open to the possibility of it being some sort of a directed energy weapon. Uh, Dr. Judy Wood has done an immense amount of work in this area. I highly recommend people take a look at her website and uh, Where check, did out, the towers check out go? her new book. Yes. So uh, I think that there is something to that, that it should be looked into. Um, I think people should look into all of the aspects of this event. They should look into the conventional explosive theory. They should look into um, 
the the reasons for it, the why behind it, namely wanting to take away more freedoms from the American public, inject more fear into the consciousness. They should look at the possibility of exotic weaponry being used. They should certainly, most definitely, look into the occult aspects and the symbolic aspects of this event. And that's what I will spend a lot of time covering on this show. Uh, all of it needs to be understood. And we need to get down to the people who had access to doing all of these things. As the caller said, we need to look at who made these intelligence drills for these days. We need to look at who gave these reports in advance of buildings collapsing before they did, because that's going to send us in the direction of the actual perpetrators of these horrid events that were mass murder. It was a mass murder ritual is what we witnessed on that day. Make no mistake, this was a human sacrifice ritual of the modern day, nothing less. So with that in mind, uh, I think that'll take us out for this segment. On the other end of this break, we're going to take callers until the end of the show. Your calls coming up next on What on Earth is Happening. Me and my special guest, Daryl Rollins, will be right back after these messages, folks. Don't go anywhere. can't stop the truth, ladies and gentlemen, from coming out. Truth can never be destroyed, no matter what the globalists want us to believe. And we will eventually uncover the truth about the series of events that took place on 9-11-2001 in New York City and Washington, D.C. and Pennsylvania. Chaos sorcery is what this is ultimately about, creating through fear a synthesis, that which controllers want to put into place and in doing so, getting people to give up their natural law inherent rights because they were in so much fear. And in that state, they'll always run to a protector promising to save them from the chaotic events that are happening. Oh, but there's a catch. You have to give up all your rights to receive that protection, don't you? And that's what we've seen after these events. So, in this segment, see, we can go on and on talking about the ins and outs of this. As I said, we could do 20 shows. And uh, Daryl is an expert on all of the aspects of this. He's looked into it more than anybody else I know. But we'll bring Daryl back on in, the future, in a future show to talk about 9-11 activism as part of solutions. How can we get this information out to the public? Because he's doing great work in that regard, as are many others in the Philadelphia area. So with that in mind, I think that's, uh, we've bombarded enough people with information. Let's go to your calls now and see what the listeners have to say. Here we go. Jane in Baltimore, you are live on What on Earth is Happening. What do you have for us? Well, just to give a name and a face to the Harley guy, the guy wearing the black Harley shirt, who your guest uh, mentioned earlier. Yes. He has been identified as Mark Adrian Humphrey, mm. spelled just as you would expect it, Mark Adrian Humphrey. Humphrey. He's the actor in the Harley shirt. Mm -hmm. 
featured in an interview uh, by Fox, broadcast by Fox. That's Rick Lowenthal interviewing him. He's a longtime anchor on Fox. And subsequent to that, there's another video where you see another professional actor, uh, a professional Hollywood stuntman by the name of Roger Cross, right, right behind Humphrey. And so you've got the situation in New York City where apparently in order to, to complete this simulation, they employed a number of professional actors. Um, I, I could say that, that the figure has tentatively been identified as Humphrey, except that apparently Mark Adrian Humphrey successfully claimed copyright infringement on this Fox News footage that is out there on YouTube for everybody to go and see, in which he denies playing any role How's that possible? Well, right. How could he have any any copyright if it if it wasn't him? Why would he know that? Now apparently he wants the clip to go away. He wants it well, to the don't worry about the copyright it. it will be posted to this website and it will not be taken <laughs> down. Right. So don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry. About of course, what's interesting, and I think what Mark points out frequently, is that it, it's what's it. The messenger is just packaging the message. Uh, they trotted him out there within minutes. Of these towers, of one of these towers erupting like volcanoes, and uh, where and he uses words like collapse when, of course, we saw them explode. But see, the problem is, and of course, the initial explosions that are attrib- allegedly attributed to airplane crashes. Remember, those occurred. The first one, which would have been the uh, uh, the North Tower, allegedly was hit at quarter to nine, and the second one, the South Tower, was hit at about nine oh five. But the first one didn't go down. And the first one to go down was the second one to be allegedly hit. And that went down like maybe about 45 minutes later. Those things sat and quietly smoked. No one expected them to go down. That was a ridiculous idea. But when they finally did, they they sat there and they smoked quietly, and then they erupted like volcanoes into clouds of dust, at least from the videos we can see. Of course, I don't know know how much credence to accord much of the video – and photographic material that has been released by the mainstream media. And I think that's going to take a lot of sifting, Mark. I think there's a lot of, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I think there's a, a lot of uh, transparent TV fakery, some, some of it easily discernible, others maybe more difficult, uh, and all kinds of media simulation. If you look at full-spectrum dominance, and one of the key features of future combat systems and full-spectrum dominance is the ability to simulate, to create simulations that are so real sure. that you, you, you convince the participants and any viewers that they're real as well. But, and the use of the media is central to this. And, of course, this is the occult. This is at the core of the occult trickery. And I would say the method that you guys, are, that Mark at least is taking on this, is that instead of getting caught up in these arguments about lie hop versus my like lie hop would assume they were real planes and real hijackers but they had foreknowledge and they let it happen my hop made it happen on purpose at least acknowledges they blew something up but i would say mark is making the case for what i would call my top which is to say made it transparent on purpose at various different levels and isn't isn't this really what part of the key to occult methodology to be able to package within these visual representations, whether simulated or real, multiple messages at multiple different levels of the pyramid. 
to anyone, as you say, to intelligence agencies and, and foreign to intelligence agencies and military organizations about the kind of technical capabilities that these guys have right. with respect to exotic weapons or the respect to the ability to control media and brainwash a whole population. But I say many of us, more of us, were meant to see that they did it. It was made transparent on purpose and to me, that's at the core of a cult. Sure. When I met Mark, he showed me three basic tarot cards that uh, uh, are very symbolic of the 9-11 operation. One is the tower, and uh, you know where you, you, you see like it being struck by lightning and people falling and jumping, and you even see the people on 9-11 falling out of the windows of the North and South Tower, just like the tarot card. And uh, then you have uh, the, the High Priestess uh, was another card he showed with the, the two towers of Jaqin and Boaz. That's right. Uh, and uh, the the third one was uh, the the uh, the death card, which has the Pentagon on it on the flag, and the, the you know, uh, and also the two towers in the background in the with background. the sun setting between them. Yes. Yes. So I mean, yeah, it was, and and uh, there was even an Illuminati card game from 1995 that, that uh, even uh, insinuated that this type of attack would happen. An example of synchromysticism, or what some people call predictive programming. I look at it more as synchromystic in nature, yeah. yes. Oh, hey. There's we, so many occult aspects, and they are embedding things at a deep subconscious level, and it's all fear-based. And it goes so deep, cognitive dissonance about this event goes so deep in some people. I've said this before on the show, and uh, I'll, I'll repeat it. A friend of mine told me that, uh, I believe it was his sister, said, even if, even if, now listen to this statement, listeners. E she said, even if it were proven to me beyond a shadow of a doubt, unequivocally, that this was an inside job, that elements within our government carried out this covert operation for whatever nefarious purposes, and even if they told me themselves, if people who were involved told me themselves what they did and how they did it, I would still choose, choose to ignore that and to believe the official story because I don't want to live in the world that it would mean to live in if that other, if that other, uh, those other aspects of this event were true. And imagine the psychosis. <laughs> That oh, you have wow. to dwell in. Imagine the dissonant mindset that you have to dwell in to say, even if reality proves to me beyond the shadow of a doubt that events are true, I will still, still <laughs> tell myself that a fantasy is reality as opposed to deal with reality because she knows deep in her heart, deep in her soul, the, the responsibility that goes with understanding that as being true. <laughs> and what the, our situation really is as a people, if indeed it went down you know, in a different she's way not than alone. the official story. She's not alone. In, in, uh, she's only being actually very honest with you in, in saying that because there's a lot of people who do think that but are so scared to even say that, to even admit that to you or to anyone. Right. That's their thought process, that they can't deal with reality as, uh, uh, you know, they, they'd much rather live in a comfortable fiction. Living in a bubble. Yeah. Dwelling in a bubble, moving throughout their lives wow. completely in a sheltered state of awareness from the real world. And Guess what? You that, that's the definition that. yeah. of a completely destroyed human being. Yes. Psychologically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that person is on the floor of the house, as they say in Freemasonry. They're dwelling in total darkness. And the idea here is exercise your will and courage to come 
to a, a confrontation and a face-to-face -face confrontation with reality, with the reality of this, no matter how deep, dark, and scary it is, and deal with the problem at hand. As That's the way we solve any of the problems of life. Oh, I want to read a real quick quote that I've memorized. We've got 30 seconds. From Orwell. He said, in a way, the worldview of the party imposed itself most successfully on those who were not capable of understanding it. They could be made to uh, accept the most flagrant violations of reality because their minds couldn't fully process the enormity of what, the, was, what was being demanded of them by the telescreen and were not sufficiently interested in public events to notice what was happening. By lack of understanding, they remained sane. Daryl, that's all we have time for.